back to Kyle's Eternal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Babylon 5 Season 4 episode, Between the Darkness and the Light. So this episode is really the beginning of the end of Season 4. Um, we got only a few more episodes to go of the main Season 4 arc, and then the, the finale, which was switched out uh, when they got uh, a renewal for Season 5, which I'll talk about when I get there. Um, and, uh, it really feels like everything is moving forward at a lightning pace. Um, and, it, but the show doesn't lose itself in the process. Yes, everything is moving quickly, because it has to, they're on limited time, uh, but it also adds to the urgency of the situations. Uh, and James also finds ways to add humor and character in there, uh, that makes the urgency not overwhelming to the audience. Um, so, Garibaldi's incredibly lucky that uh, he was not shot on sight. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, Earth, EarthGov is, you know, propagandizing that he was the, the great hero of the hour that turned in Sheridan. Uh, and he's very, very lucky someone like Franklin was there to put a halt to his execution and say, hey, I want to hear him out. He used to be my friend. Very, very lucky. Because number one shows a very, I wouldn't say pragmatic side, but a very revolutionary um, extremist terrorist side to herself when... Uh, she, uh, when, when Franklin asks if it was one of yours, wouldn't you want to hear them out? And she goes, no. And she pulls the PPG and is about to shoot Garibaldi. Like that, that firmly supplants that the Mars, uh, resistance has been put through hell so far that they have been pushed to extremes. So understanding your enemy, learning their justifications, uh, is meaningless to them. Uh, because it only serves to humanize your enemy, and you do not want to humanize your enemy. You want to, because the great thing about having an opposing side to your argument is that that makes them the wrongdoers of everything. You're pure and wonderful, and they are evil incarnate. Uh, and so, learning that there is a nuance, as there is to everything, uh, is detrimental to that mentality. Uh, and Garibaldi knows just how ridiculous his story sounds, you know, like it got, you know, changed by the psychor, Bester did it, and I was only doing it to aid them because I was changed, and all this jazz, and it wasn't my fault, he's like, it sounds ridiculous, yes, but listen, I have nothing left to lose, uh, you know, he, he, he knows that if he can convince Alita to do a deep scan, he could come out with serious injury or potentially die as a result of doing that deep of a scan against, you know, that hard of uh, telepathic defense measures, uh, you know, P-12 strength, or he can be shot as a traitor. Which would he take? You know, the, the, the die instantly or the chance to die or the chance to live? I think I would take that 50-50. Um... And uh, this is really when Lita, I wouldn't say becomes unchained, but she really gets all her worldviews confirmed. Uh, you know, she she finds out that she can break P12, you know, level blocks like that. Just nothing. It takes no effort on her behalf. Uh, and she um, 
learns what the Psychor did to Garibaldi. Someone who she considered at least a good friend, uh, an associate, uh, and uh, sees the, what this power has been turned into, perverted and uh, and changed and uh, diluted by those who have evil intent. And she sees, working with the Mars Resistance, how little people trust her because of who she is. And so, really, this is setting up where she's going to go next season, which I'll get there then. But this has been seeding for a while, but this is really that moment where it finally clicks. Because as it is, uh, when number one was like, how am I supposed to believe you? You know, you're a telepath. And she's like, then see it. And she forcibly sends those memories into number one. Like, this isn't the Lita we used to know. This is this is something new, something different. A Lita born out of the hardship she has endured for quite some time now. Um... And uh, when they go and uh, rescue uh, Sheridan, there's some really nice moments between uh, Lita Garibaldi and Franklin, uh, like the, the I'm going to sue someone uh, scene. It adds some nice levity, and it really shows where Garibaldi is coming back to it himself. Yes, the Psychor changed him. Uh, they, they, they ramped up his inner negative traits up to 11 so he didn't do anything he would have necessarily thought of but those positive traits of him or his more common personality was overridden by the negative side the paranoia the aggression and so now we get to see garibaldi as normal paranoid and aggressive yes but to a lesser extent and far more jokey humble and genuinely just a kind person uh, and I also like when they when they're uh, when they're trying to uh, uh, you know they, they take out some of the guards and then they uh, they dress up in their uniform. Uh, there's a really nice moment where the camera briefly uh, zooms past a newspaper that says you know uh, Luis Santiago elected to president. Um, and it really sells the fact, you know, we're coming to the end of season four. This Earth Civil War has been brewing since midnight on the firing line, you know, uh, since long before, technically, uh, you know, uh, in, in lore. But we, the viewer, got to first witness the, that tension there in that very first episode. And that's the episode he was elected. And doesn't it feel like, doesn't that feel like it was a million years ago? I know when I first watched this and I saw that, I, just, I had to pause for a moment and just go, man, all of this has happened. And yet, that was only three years ago from their perspective or three seasons from mine. Uh, you know, and that wasn't all that long ago. And yet, it feels like the world has changed. Everything has changed since that one little election in that first episode. Um... Uh, and it really sells just how far we've come and how much we still have to endure. Um, so when they when they get to rescuing uh, Sheridan, there's a beautiful moment where our guard, uh, you know, goes on the spiel because Garibaldi's trying to use his uh, uh, 
sort of recognition as the hero of the hour that 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 captures Sheridan to uh, get the places where he shouldn't technically have authority to go to, and the, this guard is like, I don't watch TV. You know, it's full of you know uh, bad metaphors and poorly done metaphors. Uh, you know, enacted by the liberal media elite, and that kind of thing is is literally um, JMS making fun of idiots. Um, these people who firmly believe in the party line so much that they refuse to hear another perspective. Uh, these are the people that fully back Clark and fully believe he is in the right. These are also sadly the same people that have gotten a lot more media of attention and a lot more voice in things in the real world as of late. These are the people that stormed the Capitol in January. You know, th these are not good people. These are people that need to hear others' perspective, but are too bigoted or afraid or scared or whatever to listen. And so they shut themselves off and put themselves in a uh, bubble that confirms their own personal biases. Uh, and I think that's sad. Um, so, so when, when they, so Sheridan, uh, you know, just before they get rescued, they're, they're, they're using drugs on him. They're also using the same machine the knights used on Sinclair back in the sky full of stars in season one. Uh, it really shows that Earthgov is slowly getting more and more desperate. You know, they've tried the traditional way. Now we got to try the drugging route. Now we got to try the technological route. Okay, sooner or later they're just going to stumble on we have to use te uh, telepaths. But they, they, as mentioned last episode, they want it to be sincere. Because the more people... Uh, the more people will believe it if it comes genuinely from Sheridan's heart, if he has genuinely been broken and beaten down. Um, and so when they rescue Sheridan, uh, there's a bit where um, uh, Sheridan takes a PPG and shoots a guard, and then he keeps shooting guard when he's down and probably dead just keep shooting 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 until uh you know garibaldi stops him and uh and he glares at garibaldi and then goes uh and, that, and that's the end of that scene i wish we spent more time on that this is a result of the season four crunch you know we have Two more episodes to resolve the main storyline, and then the twenty-second episode was going to be the the uh, uh, the series finale. Sleeping Light, Sleeping Light gets moved to season five when they got the renewal, so it got replaced last minute. And uh, as a result, there's not enough time to really explore the dynamic of what sh the hell Sheridan went through the trauma he's he's experienced and processing and the fact that one of his best friends is the one who got him in there yeah it wasn't wholly his best friend's fault he was being manipulated but there has to be a reckoning in some way a talk some way for them to see each other's point of view and discuss it and show that the damage has been done but they're willing to forgive each other um there's none of that uh, and I wish there was, because 
you know, we don't have time for it for this season. And then by the time we get to season five, too much time has passed for it to come natural from the characters. And therefore, I think that is a really missed opportunity. This is really the only concrete scene that really deals with it. Uh, and it's very short. Uh, and I wish we had gotten more time to really explore that dynamic. Uh, and the trauma that Sheridan went through and that inherent betrayal that he feels with Garibaldi. Um, so what Londo and Jacquard do, do uh, it's very, very sweet. They, they come together and uh, because Sheridan has been kidnapped and being tortured, the time for the standing aside of the League of Non-Aligned Worlds uh, has to come to an end because uh, the person leading the charge, the, the face of this resistance, has been taken down. This resistance is going to start bleeding, uh, you know, members, uh, morale, everything. And so Londo and Jakar come together to uh, have the, uh, the League of Non-Aligned Worlds agree to supply ships, weapons, crew to the resistance. They firmly understand it's the Earth's fight, it's the humans' fight. They should not be leading the charge because that only sends the wrong message. But they're there to help. They're no longer going to stand on the sidelines as requested by Sheridan because they have to do this. Uh, because uh, if this resistance falls, you know, it's only a matter of time before this incredibly xenophobic, you know, um, government starts wanting to claim land in their territory. So they have a vested interest in ensuring this resistance goes through. Um, now, I do think that Londo and Dakar are a bit too chummy with each other um, than they have been in the past um, few episodes, especially like that the, that one a couple episodes ago where, you know, uh, he took that entire episode for Jakar to finally, uh, you know, uh, sign the, the, the same statement, you know, uh, but on a different page, you know. Um, once again, that is a result of the season four crunch, uh, because we need to get Jakar and Londa to a place in which they would reasonably, as we know from the future, because we've seen it, they would reasonably kill each other, you know, Jakar would kill him out of love in a weird way, out of respect, an understanding that his friend is suffering, um... And we need to get there, but we don't have the time to explore it, so we just switch them on a dive. I think season five goes to great lengths to further explain their chumminess um, and their, their sort of camaraderie. I don't think it's earned right here, uh, but I can read it as them overcompensating, uh, trying to put on a good face, and then season five is really where we get we dig into that relationship and understand how they grew from such disparate enemies uh, back in season one to very close friends in season five. Um, and I also like that little line from fear of politics and morality on the same side is such a rare occurrence, and it is. So very rare for that to be true. Uh, now, uh, the Ivanova section, uh, there's a bit I wanted to talk about, but I think I'll wait till next episode for that. Uh, but Ivanova, 
you know, is leading the charge, and she's much more harsh than Sheridan. She is, she's, uh, you know, she's willing to let people defect, but anybody that doesn't is is either being shot down or they're being arrested. They're taking time to arrest them immediately, not letting them go, and sending them back because they must stand trial for what they've done. And we see that her sort of hardline stance is slowing the advance down, and uh, causing morale issues. And defection isn't all hunky-dory. Uh, there are people who are uh, joining because they are loyal to the Clark regime and want to feed intelligence to the Clark regime. And then there are people who are playing both sides against the middle, who don't really care who wins. All they really want is to be on the winning side so that they don't get punished or get punished less severely. Uh, and that, that is the result of Ivanova, you know, getting the information she needs about the events, uh, you know, Earth Destroyers, and then when she goes to face them out, uh, and, and I agree with her that, uh, this is a, this is a, a fleet that they plan to entrap us with, um, they're highly advanced, Earth Destroyers do not stand a chance because they know their inherent weaknesses, so a White Star Fleet has to go attack them. But this also leads to an interesting thing where you have the advanced Earth Destroyers, which are shadow-infused, you know, ships. They are, have organic shadow technology in them, uh, against a White Star Fleet, which is a Mexican body and Vorlon design with or organic Vorlon technology in there. In other words, it is a Vorlon fleet versus a shadow fleet, or to put it another way, it is the weapons, the tools, the technology of these advanced species now in the hands of the uh, those that they were coddling. And now, they do not fully understand this technology, but they're willing to use it. This is a theme that is going to circle back around a couple more times, including a major point next season. So it really adds to the fact that, yes, the Vorlons and Shadows are gone, but their legacy remains. And it will remain for a long time, because that is a very deep scar that they bored into the galaxy. Um, so, Ivanova gets, uh, uh, you know, hurt during the, uh, big situation, and this really proves her recklessness. Her God sent me speech, I'm death incarnate speech, is, uh, indicative of this. Everything since season one has been pointing right to this moment. Um... She has repeatedly had her worldview confirmed. Everything has been stripped from her. All good things, good people, everybody she's cared or loved, gone, destroyed, perverted. And everything that she tries to do to make the world just a tiny bit better completely falls apart. Uh, and losing Sheridan was the next step of that. Uh, and... Basically, she her pessimism has grown from a joke in season one to full-blown, I have nothing to lose anymore. There's always more of them than there are of us. But I'm sure as hell going to put as many of them as I can in the grave. She has nothing to lose anymore. That's why she's so reckless, and that's why she gets hurt and potentially almost dies this episode as a result. Uh, now, there's that really good scene between her and Delenn and Sheridan and Marcus, 
where, uh, you know, it is confirmed that she will not make it. The damage is too severe. And I like how no one really knows what to say, and uh, Marcus is just, you know, silent and dead inside, you can tell. You know, it took him forever to overcome the guilt of outliving his brother. And now he has to, you know, deal with, you know, the guilt of outliving the woman he loves, knowing that if he had been smart enough, if he had been quick enough, he could have pulled her out of that situation and prevented it all harm. So uh, he is inwardly blaming himself. Um, but I like how Sheridan, at Ivanova's at, at plea, tells the truth because he is a soldier too. He understands who she is. She's his, uh, she's his friend. And uh, he knows that she cannot and will not ever, ever not want to be in control. Control is what defines her life because she lacks it. Everyone else is that pessimism. So she has to be 100% in control at all times. She has to know, am I going to live it or not? And Sheridan's completely honest with her. And she accepts it. And she, and she tells Sheridan... You know, uh, you know, do not let, do, do not let the guilt of, uh, you know, uh, and the baggage, you know, continue on. You gotta let that go if you're gonna be who you really want to be. And I think that wasn't just for Sheridan. That's for her. That's for her acknowledging I'm gonna die. I have to let go of the guilt of surviving my mother, my brother, my father, Talia. I've lost everyone and everything. Uh, and I lost control of my life, but in this one moment, I can take back control, relinquish my guilt, and go on to the life beyond, at least a little bit happier. Uh, and she requests that uh, uh, Sheridan go to the Agamemnon, which, uh, which is a nice a, uh, mythological reference, because Agamemnon was the general that led the forces during the Trojan War to save Helen. Uh, so it is a nice little deal that this is... The, the ending of the Earth Civil War and is being led by the effectively general, even though he's a captain, uh, the head of the resistance, Sheridan, on a ship called the Agamemnon, leading the charge. Um, this is overall a really good episode. Um, there was only one issue I think I had with it. Um, uh, the scene between Marcus and Ivanova near the beginning where uh, they they go and get the, the sleep and, uh, you know, I take two hours, you take two hours, and then he just lets her sleep for the four hours. Very sweet. However, there's one big clunky dialogue when uh, Jameis wants Ivanova to remember what Marcus told her. Uh, you know, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in Minbari, and that she's learned Minbari and she now understands it. Uh, and, and, um, she, she, she clunkily mentions, oh, well, I happen to have eidetic memory, and I, that's never come up before, and it will never come up again, I think it's kind of odd, and it was kind of clunkily delivered, I think he could have just had her say, I remember that thing you told me, you know, something like that, uh, not, not a fundamental change of the way this character's memory works, um, it seems odd, out of place, and is very clunkily delivered by Claudia Christensen, but, I digress, it's still a very sweet scene, nonetheless. Uh, and I like how she says thank you, and then he responds, you're welcome, and Mimbari. It is very, 
very sweet and lead, leads into the tragedy when she, you know, is basically killed and he is sitting there silent, not knowing what to do. He's dealing with that guilt that he dealt with with his brother. Now, uh, the other thing regarding Ivanova, I was going to, I thought about talking about this episode, but I'm going to talk about next episode. Uh, that will be in... Uh, because it would go in the spoiler section here, but it won't have to be in the spoiler section next episode. Anyway, uh, so I shall see you then for the end of the Earth Civil War. Till then, bye. <laughs>